2: This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com.
1: Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope everyone is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a very different kind of show than we usually do. Typically, we have CEOs and founders and innovators talking about companies they've launched to solve some sort of problem in the world. Oftentimes it's environmental and feeding people. Sometimes it's business efficiency and helping restaurants. Today's a little bit different. Today we are talking with a person who is interested in becoming a part of that conversation, a person who is interested in pursuing work, and a career, and possibly becoming their own founder and CEO of a business. It's not the first time this has happened. TechBytes has been on the air since January of 2015, and we often get emails from people. Sometimes it's a pitch of, hey, this is a great company. You should have the founder on the show. Sometimes it's a pitch from a person very much like this one. Her name is May Bierman, and she sent me an email not too long ago. Hi, Jennifer. My name is May. I'm a 30-year-old from Cambridge, Massachusetts, who has built a career in the creative agency space and is now looking to pivot into the food industry. I get that email a lot. I get that question a lot in real life. And knowing that there are people who are perhaps having the same idea, knowing that there are people who maybe want to ask the same questions, I asked May if she would mind having the virtual coffee chat to pick my brain about my career in the food and food media so that she can possibly figure out what her next move is. Maybe a 45-minute chat over Google Meet. So I proposed, how about a 45-minute chat over Tech Byte? I can tell you listeners, anecdotally, that I know people have listened to these episodes. And I actually had a person as a guest on an episode who said, you know... I listened to Tech bites and I listened to the episode with the person who was doing this project and pivoting into this job and it motivated me to do the same. So hopefully this episode, while very different from our usual intersection of food and technology, it might help some people answer some questions and maybe help them pivot into food and tech. This is also a little bit unusual because typically I get to ask the questions and this is an instance where someone will ask me the questions, uh, which will be a nice change of pace for me, and um, I think a lot of fun. So I am going to introduce Mae Bierman. Thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for first reaching out. And secondly, uh, your willingness to share um, what is in some ways a a very personal conversation um, with our listeners and audience.
3: Amazing! Thank you for having me. Thank you for kind of letting us switch roles today and letting me ask some questions. I really appreciate it.
1: So, May, um, tell us in a nutshell, um, you know, a little bit about you and what what brought you to
3: sending that email. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I've I've kind of accumulated around a decade. Of experience now in kind of the corporate world. I majored and got my master's in communications and marketing. And over the course of the last few years, I've done everything from social media to events planning to PR, copywriting, graphic design publications. Um, And now I'm, I'm working very solidly in the user experience or product design space where I really help create Um, and build website experiences, app experiences, digital experiences, and it's been great. Um, But I kind of feel like whether it was brought on by the pandemic, or turning 30, or I don't even know what, I've just had this itch of maybe I could be doing something a little bit more aligned with my passions, a little bit more dynamic, where I'm not just kind of behind a computer all the time, Um, something maybe a little bit more hands-on. I've always loved food. I'm really passionate about veganism uh, and animal ethics, sustainability, things like that. So it just got me thinking, wow, I have a lot to figure out about myself. Where do I start? As a strategist, I'm a researcher and I constantly am interviewing people. So my first thought was, let me talk to people that know a little bit more than I do. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon you. Okay.
1: Well, that is a great, uh, as they say in the agency world, that's a great way to set the table (laughs) before the meeting. So I will, Mm -hmm. I will really turn it over to you In your email. um, You asked if, if I was available to talk with you because you wanted to pick my brain about things. So I will um, turn it over to you and, and
3: ask away. Amazing. Great. Yeah. So I think, you know, what I what I when I was kind of looking through the um, Heritage Radio Network and some of the shows they have, I was trying to kind of find a podcaster that was that kind of resonated with me, whether it was a subject matter or the host's career trajectory or, or kind of find that fit um, and why I reached out to you is because I saw that you kind of had a corporate career that in many ways mirrored mine. You've worked at creative agencies, you've, you've done you know, marketing, advertising, PR, um, journalism, things like that. What I'm really curious about is kind of the pivot point at which you went to culinary school. So I, I'd love to just hear you talk a bit about your career trajectory and how you found yourself going to culinary school.
1: Well, uh, thank you uh, for uh, being that interested and paying attention Mm -hmm. and and doing some research. It's always uh, gratifying to know that work has an impact on other people and not just the impact it's intended to have, like advertising, you know, click, buy, Um, but -hmm. something perhaps a um, a little different. I studied broadcast journalism and urban design in college and I had worked at CNN in New York and had learned to edit video and shoot video. And I thought at that point, because I was interested in journalism and and, and nonfiction storytelling, that documentary film was perhaps the way to go. And I got a job in Paris at UNESCO, the cultural arm of the United Nations in the documentary film department through a connection of one of my professors. And so I moved to Paris after I graduated and I had some time before the job started and I loved food and had done a lot of cooking and self-taught cooking and was very um, enthusiastic about it. And being in Paris, I thought what better place to learn to cook than Paris. So it's kind of like a Sabrina moment, you know, the movie, (laughs) Audrey Hepburn, she goes Mm -hmm. to Paris, she learns to cook, she's very glamorous. I said, why, why don't I do that while I'm waiting for the job to start? So I went to cooking school then I went to the Escoffier school and people thought that I was a working cook. They asked me what restaurant I worked in in New York. And I said, I cook at home. I did very well on my practical exams. I got the highest marks at the time uh, on my practicals um, in the school. And uh, some of the chefs, instructors encouraged me to go and work. Like literally, can you take the heat in the kitchen and you should be a chef because there are no women chefs at the time and still not very many today. Um, But, but can you, can you do it? And working in France and Paris is a little bit of a different transaction than it is here. And certainly at that time, they didn't have the 35 hour work week like they do now. And so I went to work uh, in a one-star Michelin restaurant. Um, I think my first job was on the fish line. And then I went to Guermanger and I wound up uh, staying for a few years in Paris cooking and, um, went back to culinary school, I did some work in boulangerie and chocolate and worked at a couple different um, other Michelin restaurants. And then finally came back to New York and when I came back to New York, I had really pivoted into a love for food but didn't really want to work in the kitchen anymore. So I started looking for opportunities that would maybe combine, you know, the journalism storytelling skill set that I had with the mm-hmm. culinary and I wound up doing PR and, and marketing and ultimately journalism around food. So the pivot into food was very early and um, very accidental.
3: <laughs> yeah, I find that really fascinating because it's like we kind of set out on these steps that will where we have a certain expectation of what our future is going to be or what our dream job is going to be or what we're like working towards, especially as young people. So I think it's really interesting to me to hear how you kind of just went for it. You're like, well, I'm in Paris. I got some spare time. Let me do this thing. So I think that's really cool. Um, I'm curious. You know, having spoken to you a little bit um, in preparation for this, I know that you have a number of different um, passions, like fitness also being one of them. I'm curious, do you have any kind of um, philosophy or thoughts around how you navigate things that are a passion or a hobby versus a career?
1: Um, that's a good question. Passion, hobby versus career. Um, you know, fitness is, is definitely a passion. I would expand that to say um, fitness, martial arts, um, mm-hmm. coaching people, martial arts and combat sports. One of the things I love about martial arts and combat sports is they're very um, truth-telling. You can posture or say or have a good game uh, when you're talking about something, but the moment you are on the mat or in the ring or engaged in, you know, one of those combat sports or martial arts, um, you you are who you are and it doesn't matter what you've said or how you postured or if you did something or the other or intend to do something or the other, how you perform is how you perform and... and um, many people will say it's not something new. It's, it's almost a cliche. You know, It's the truth teller. You, the, you're the person you are in life is the person that you are in the ring and, and on the mat. And I think that the person you are in life um, and the way you perceive um, life and your transaction and how you measure success, I think those things are the same, whether you're passionate about them or whether it's your job. I think Mm. that if I am going to spend my time doing something, time is one of the most valuable commodities that we have, really. Um, If I'm going to spend an hour of my time doing something that I love, I'm going to do it well and enjoy it and give myself the best and the greatest opportunity to really enjoy it and and do it well and and learn it and experience it. When I'm at work, Mm. I'm paid to do a job for an hour Um, And with that hour, I'm going to spend it the best way possible, be the most efficient that I can, be the most successful, hit those success metrics. So my, my mentality or drive of why I'm spending that hour on a passion project versus a paid project might be slightly different. But the person who shows up to those two activities is the same person. Um, I think if you are not fully interested, committed, vested, um, engaged in what you're doing, whether it's with your spare time, your free time, your work time, you shouldn't be doing it. It's a waste of your time. You know, it's like, yeah. if you're going to half-ass anything, don't you either get in or
3: get out.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I, I relate to that a lot. I definitely have a kind of all or nothing um, mindset. It seems like you kind of do too. Um, so you, you talked about how culinary school came into the picture and then you also kind of didn't want to be directly hands-on in the kitchen anymore. How, when, and how did Tech Bites get, how did you get involved with that? Um, where did that come into the, into the picture?
1: Tech Bites was a lot, lot later. <laughs> um, I cooked and then I went into PR and marketing and I spent a, a f- years in PR and marketing and came out of PR and marketing when I wrote a uh, cookbook with one of my clients and came out of the PR and marketing side and crossed into editorial and became a writer and did editorial work for a long time. And while I was doing editorial work, magazines and print newspapers sometimes back in the day. Um, I had a blog and the blog's called Snack. Um, It's still online. It's like an archive of a moment, snackblogs.com. And in the midst of all my freelance work for a lot of different entities, the blog was the place where I could express my own voice, my own interest, cover stories that I liked, that I was interested in. My specialty was breaking news in the restaurant industry, Um, verifying things breaking news all of that was uh, what I did regularly and it was a lot of fun I went ultimately into advertising and that takes a lot of time and energy and I stopped blogging and stopped writing and a few years after advertising as a creative director copywriter not necessarily in food I similar to you perhaps got the got the feeling that I wanted to write again, that I wanted to do something creative, that I wanted to do something creative and tell stories that interested me. And I started looking around as to what outlet I could use. And my first inclination was to go back to blogging. And there were certainly a lot of platforms and tools available, much better um, technology than there was when I was doing it initially. Um, But what they were missing uh, was a sense of being like really on the cutting edge of technology or at the head of a trend or on the, you know, really at the top of the curve of something new and interesting. At the time when I was blogging, blogging was really just starting. And so not only was I breaking news, but I was also in a technology that had a very new, fresh, compelling feel to it. And I was looking to capture that perfect storm again So I didn't think really that blogging was going to do it just because it had become so mainstream and looking around at what was available, podcasting was really on the uptick a little bit. And we had crossed into the age of smartphones and iPhones and texting and Twitter. And most of our day-to-day communication then became via text and via email and via written messages. We really stopped at that had really stopped at that point in a societal and business sense, talking to people on the phone, and leaving voicemail and things like that. So hearing someone's voice, and hearing someone's voice very closely in headphones or on earbuds, um, was very intimate and very one to one. And the technology of you know MP4 files and and uh, web based radio that was kind of new. So to me, the podcast became the perfect storm of something that was very analog and old school in the way of having a, a very close, intimate conversation with somebody, conversations that we don't really have anymore, that was powered by the current technology. So I said podcasting, I think is where it's at. And that's what I need to do. And then the question became, where do I do a podcast? What's the platform? Do I just do one of those podcasts and throw it out there? Or do I join a community and a network. And I came to Tech Bites. Um, I came to Heritage Radio Network, already well established, you know, food platform, lots of great things, great people, um, out in Bushwick, Brooklyn and Roberta's Pizza. I said, so that's my spot. That's where I need to be. Um, and I took a look at what the show roster was and I picked a show idea that they didn't have. It was a tech-based you know, technology and enabled HRN to do what they do, but they did not have a show that was covering technology. And back in 2015, you know, we were really coming into like apps and um, delivery and, and, you know, payment platforms and things like that. And so I pitched the show and and did a pilot and this is episode 289.
3: Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, It it seems like Um, it was a natural kind of evolution, you know, as someone who was really familiar with blogging and kind of having a a voice, um, in kind of the written word, it seems, it does seem like a great fit that you would gravitate towards podcasting, but I'm curious, um, did anything surprise you about the medium of podcasting? You know, was it easy to pick up, uh, anything, did you have to kind of teach yourself on the fly or was it all just pretty seamless?
1: Well, I did not need to teach myself on the fly because I had the support of the network. You know, my engineer, who is always—you don't hear them, but they're there. You know, who's in the booth with me. Um, the executive director at the time was a woman named Erin Fairbanks, and she was very generous and very. Uh, about with all the shows, she listened to all the shows, and she would you know give me you know feedback and notes. Um, so there were a lot of people around me who were listening and helping. I think the thing, the the thing that I needed to learn initially was how to and how much integration of my point of view to put into the show. Mm-hmm. I came at it from a very uh, journalistic perspective of I'm going to present a story and present a form for people to talk about the story, but I didn't want to interject my opinion, what I think, do I like this? Is it good? Is it bad? Inherently I produce all the shows. So I select all the guests and pre-interview them. So having someone on the show is an endorsement by their being there, but I was trying to sort of stay neutral from a point of view to let listeners And the audience make their own decision. But then people listen to podcasts the same way you read an article or you read a critic or you read a newspaper or a magazine because there's something about the tone and the point of view that you like or you gravitate towards. Um, Or there's something about it that you don't like and you want to listen to something that's going to make you angry that you can yell at every day. (laughs) So getting to the place where I felt there was a good balance between letting the guests tell their story, my point of view, um, and having that combination. And then also as, you know, the the world is a different place today in April of 2023 than it was in January of 2015. Um, And certainly coming through the pandemic and coming through some of the political elections and things like that, you know, initially I wanted to, you know, just talk about, stories and companies and the future and, and all of the crazy, fantastical things that are happening. But as time went on, I recognized very quickly that having a, a platform and a mic and a spotlight is important in the times that we live in, perhaps in all times, uh, to be able to articulate, you know, some of the shared values, values that I believe in, things that I think are important, Think people that I think are, are doing good work and and maybe more people need to know about it. So over time, um, the show has evolved, I think, to be more and more inclusive of what my actual point of view is. And over time, my actual point of view has expanded to be, um, I would say, just simply more political than it was at the beginning.
3: Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I as a podcast listener myself, I think it's always kind of the, it's a very, it can be a very personality driven medium. And that's actually what I, what I love about it. That's what resonates with me. Um, You touched on something I wanted to dig into a little bit further, which is kind of the evolution of the podcast and um, where you see it's going. Uh, I'm curious if you view the podcast as kind of One spoke in a wheel of this kind of larger Tech Bytes vision or empire, um, which could include other things, other mediums, books, live tours, uh, YouTube shows, you name it. Um, Or if you have something else in mind, can you talk a little bit about that? I've had so many ideas about the things I would
1: love to do with Tech Bytes and. Just get so far in terms of planning them and mapping them out. Part of it comes down to time. What I talked about earlier—you know, how much time you want to give to something, um, mm-hmm. and what that would look like. I have thought. Uh, you know, I have done. Um, I've moderated panels uh, in lots of different places and about different subjects. Always food tech. I've helped build panels to moderate around different subjects. I enjoy that. That's sort of a live version of the show. I've done a live version of the show um, with Heritage Radio Network. We've done different, you know, in-person things. And I think that's always great, uh, seeing people in real life and, and just looking at them and how they move and articulate and the interaction and the energy and the energy that you get from other people in a crowd um, makes things resonate in a different way. And so I think that's great. I'm also, you know, struck by the idea as time goes by, this is episode 289. We're going to hit episode 300. This at some point this summer, which is amazing to me, the 300, I have to get like Gerald Butler to come on maybe, (laughs) Um, which would be amazing. Yeah. I I have so many stories from so many amazing founders and innovators and people who built things that I often think I, I need to write a book. One of those, you know, You know, startup advice or stories or something from Tech Bytes and just walk through some of the really amazing things that people have said and talked about over time. Um, I think that would be helpful. That would be an interesting thing, something that I would love to do. Um, It could be most podcasts have a YouTube component now because people want to see things, because they want to be able to see and then read subtitles. So they can access media with maybe they can't hear it. Um, How has tech podcasting technology changed? My inbox is filled with um, podcast PR companies, podcast platforms, podcast studios, um, podcast transcription companies, all kinds of services around podcasts. So that tells me, you know, the industry has just grown and grown and grown and now podcasting you know, is the same uh, in, you know, in advertising, we would talk about campaigns being three hundred, three sixty, three hundred and sixty 360, 360 degrees around the media wheel. So that meant hitting every type of media, print, direct mail, TV, radio, Internet, social media and, you know, podcasting. So, you know, I'm often struck by things that we could do with the podcast and and um, different media and different outlets and things like that. And then it just comes down to time it just comes down yeah. to how much time is there in the in the day and the week and all the things that i want to do
3: yeah that makes sense i i'm curious too you know when i think about what does my ideal job or ideal life you know look like in, in 10 years time or or even sooner than that um flexibility is a big thing that comes up for me um I, i'm curious for you, um, what does a week in your life look like? Like, do you feel like you have flexibility or are you able to kind of create your own schedule? Kind of take us maybe like into your shoes for a minute. <laughs> I
1: 100% create my own schedule. Uh, I host and produce Tech bites, So all of the uh, research, emailing, pre-show work—all of that I schedule on my time. I, I block out time during the week specifically for that. My show is is recorded at the same time every week, um, so that that that's a footprint there. And I certainly determine, you know, what the lineup is and, and how much time I spend. What I what I do for my work work currently is I'm a personal coach and a personal trainer. So I train people, um, regular people, um, a 16-year-old to a 68-year-old. I train professional athletes. I train amateur athletes and everyone in between. And anyone who has a coach um, or a person that they work with, whether that be a personal trainer or a you know, massage person or a therapist or acupuncturist or anything like that you schedule time with them so I have a a schedule of time that is flexible that you know I certainly um, create a framework for and then I fill it in and then around that I fill in my time to train with my coaches um, and my time in the gym and my time in the sports and then I have um I guess the passion project piece which is um I do do some writing, and I do Japanese embroidery called Shashiko, oh. which is my you know, sort of like my fine creative project that I do. So I fill in, you know, I fill in the tech bites time. I fill in all my time for all my clients and the people I'm coaching. Um, I'm currently working with um, a couple amateur fighters who are getting ready to fight in a few weeks time. So they require more time now than they will later. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes people go on vacation, spring break, time opens up and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a moving target a little bit. There's a baseline of things that reoccur from week to week, but there's also a lot that kind of moves around and you just have to decide what you want to do and when you want to be available and, and when you want to work and what time you want for yourself. And then yes. just draw that line. And then people who want to have coffee with you or be on Tech bites will say, yes, I can be available or no, mm-hmm. I can't. And, you know, at, at some point, if you can't be available within the parameters of, of the schedule, then it doesn't work. But people who really want to be on Tech Bytes, they will make the time to do it. So I found that, you know, flexibility is good, but there's also a certain point where, you know, you set a structure and a framework for what you need to do and people who want to work with you will find a way to work with you. And if they don't, then they maybe don't really want to work with you. And so that's okay.
3: Yeah. It sounds like you keep everything really organized and you've managed to kind of, still find time for all of the things that you care about. So I think like that in and of itself is kind of something to be commended for. Um, I, I guess in a similar vein to what we were talking earlier around kind of passion and hobby versus career uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I'm curious um, what keeps you motivated and consistent? Like, do you have, um, I don't know, routines or good, good practices that you follow, or is it just that idea of kind of being all in on something? What do you think about that?
1: Hmm. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know that I would necessarily describe myself as being motivated, um, which is interesting because I certainly get a lot done. Um, (laughs) I suppose I am motivated. It's not just necessarily a word that I would use to describe myself perhaps. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have um I mean I have a long view and a bird's eye view and a full court view of just about everything that I'm doing and it's very easy for me to say, "Oh, I just met this person today and they want to work with me and I can coach them." it's kind of easy for me to see. And if we can do this for six months, we can hit this goal. If we do it for a year, we can hit that goal. If we do it for two, three, four, we can be here. Likewise, when I sit down and I think about, you know, getting from episode 289 to 300 and then what do we do there? You know, I I tend to see things from, you know, 30,000 feet. So It's simply a question of getting from one end of the court to the other. And then how quickly do I want to get there? Mm. And sometimes you can accelerate the pace of something, um, more opportunity, um, more guests, more business. You know, sometimes it's just simply a function of, I need to spend more time, um, outreach for guests for Tech bites, or simply sit down and spend more time, you know, researching something or more time in the gym. Sometimes you can't accelerate the pace of something. Sometimes things just take time. Um, I practice a Japanese martial art called Kendo. It is a, a martial art that's progress is measured in years, years. This is not a thing where you join and then like in six weeks, you're like, Oh, I feel great. You know, boxing is very different. Boxing is one of my other sports where you can walk into a boxing gym and put on gloves. And, you know, if you put in time regularly and have good coaches and a good work ethic, you can make a lot of progress in a short period of time. And there are some things that just aren't like that. So I think it's sort of being able to identify the difference between those two things and then deciding, you know, where you want to be and 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 what's the what's the end goal. If the end goal is to just sort of build and go and do as much as you can, you know, and, and then keep going and see where that takes you. I mean, that's sort of how I look at things, especially with the pandemic. You know, one of the questions that I've asked every almost every single founder since March 16th, 2020, is it's very difficult as a founder sometimes of a new business and a CEO of a new business to Plan ahead. There are a lot of variables. Sometimes you don't know um, certain industries like restaurants and food supply chain, customers, you know things like that. It's it's difficult to plan sometimes. And with the pandemic, it almost became impossible for people to plan. And I would ask them, "How are you planning right now for your business? You know, do you, do you have a plan to take you to the end of the year? It's typically a you know six months plan, one year, two year, five years. Do you have a five year plan? Is that even?" a realistic question to ask today post, you know, post 2020, I don't know. Um, is it an end goal, meaning you hit the goal and then you're out or is it, you know, you hit a goal and it's, you know, like climbing Everest where, you know, your next goal is like base camp three <laughs> <laughs> and then your next goal is base camp two you know, and then base camp one and then you're going to try and summit you know, and maybe you do, or maybe you don't, maybe you go back down, maybe you have to try again. So, you know, um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, because I sort of answered your question by saying
3: I I, I don't actually do that, maybe. (laughs) No, it was great. It was helpful. Um, So I I mentioned that, you know, the reason that Tech Bytes um, and and your career appealed to me um, is because it really hits on kind of Three main the- themes that get me excited: food, community, uh, and media. Um, I'm I'm curious if you've seen other great examples um, of that kind of merging of food, community, and media, uh, either through tech bites or other aspects of your career. You know, are there other kind of career paths um, that kind of feel like they hit on the same notes?
1: Food, community, and media. I'm going to actually think about that for a moment. And we're going to find out who is actually supporting this food community and media. Because Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, from grants and from underwriters like this one. Let's find out who's supporting this show. Stay
4: with us. Coming this spring, we're working on something big
0: for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So, I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the best year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away, and then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, in my regards to the family, I don't even know how to receive this information.
4: So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors.
0: Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He
4: is the bra-
3: worst. Oh my <laughs> God, that guy.
0: It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by
2: Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections.
4: It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, incredible training resources are.
2: They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development.
4: You can pop over to the quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University.
2: Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike, and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter.
4: The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University field guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online.
2: At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate.
4: Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet, And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese?
2: At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheesestateUniversity.com.
1: You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we have a little bit of a different show for you today. We have a listener who sent an email looking to pivot into food and tech and pivot into a new job. And it's not the first time we've had that email. and It's not the first time we've done this show. I think a lot of times, a lot of people are thinking the same thing, and sometimes it's nice to hear other people talk about it. And maybe it'll be helpful to you, listener out there. I know for a fact that we have had other listeners who have listened to career food tech advice episodes, and it has given them some of the information they needed to make a change and go do something different. So I hope that this episode maybe has that result for some of you. And I wanna thank Mae Bierman, who is with us today, who sent the email and who has been uh, really generous in terms of letting us listen to her personal conversation with herself about what she wants to do as the next part of her career in her life. She's interested in veganism, food, community, she has spent years working in creative agencies, in strategy and UX, and she's at a pivot point, like I think many of us are. And it's also a little bit fun for me because she's asking me questions. Just before the break, she asked if, aside from Tech bites, if there was another instance of food community and media, another instance, organization, opportunity, happening, of food, community, and media coming together. I would say that in today's day and age, almost anything that you do successfully, anything that one would do, any type of company or business project needs a media component to it. It may not be a forward piece of it like Heritage Radio Network. We are media, we broadcast radio. Maybe not media forward like a magazine or a book or a blog, but you need to have some media component. You need to be versed in social media and have some sort of engagement with the world, typically on the internet, sometimes in person, marketing, communications. That has to be present or else businesses will not survive. Which channels you use, the methodology, how you decide to articulate that, you know, that depends on the entity and the people running it but I think today every, everything has to have media in terms of food and community. I think some of the best examples of food and community with a media assist, um, are things that are mostly nonprofit or service oriented.
0: Mm.
1: I think the, uh, Food and Finance High School in New York City. Um, We've done a lot of work with them on this show. We've participated in different career days and and radio internships and things like that. This is a high school in New York with kids who want to be in the restaurant world. They have a very, very robust um, engagement with the community, with media professionals, uh, doing events, galas, raising funds. They produce a magazine. They do a lot of different things and they have engaged a lot of professionals at different levels from different industries um, to help the school and support the school and support the students um, for the next generation. They do a fantastic, fantastic job Um, along those same lines. You know, a lot of the um, food forward, you know, hunger, charities, nonprofits do an amazing job. City Harvest, Food Bank for New York City. America's Second Harvest, God's Love We Deliver—all those entities are very good at the work that they're doing, pulling in people in the community. At a basic level, we need people to come to the kitchen to help um, to help make food. Regular folks up and up to you know fancy celebrity chefs or magazine people or celebrities to help you know raise money or interest or profile. Um, And then I think also things centered around, um, you know, subject matters, groups of people who have an interest in the same types of things. Um, You know, there's a lot of um, food tech, you know, conferences and events, um, publications, things like, you know, Cherry Bomb, Heritage Radio Network, certainly. Um, I think, you know, the keys to those are having a Uh, multi-faceted participation in terms of the demographic of people who are involved, um, the widest demographic possible, the broadest reach, but all focusing in on one or two single ideas, missions, um, things that you're working towards are, are what makes most of these organizations successful
3: yeah that makes a lot of sense and you you shared so many good ideas that i maybe hadn't thought of where those you know food and community kind of topics can intersect so i I love that i also really like your phrasing you said um food and community with a media assist i'm definitely Mm going to steal that because that's that's (laughs) cute um trademarking right now (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly Um, So I mentioned to you last time that um, I'm looking to enter the food industry. I've kind of been dabbling with a a business plan and a concept for a vegan cafe and gathering space. Um, Definitely still all ears, though, for, you know, other ways that I can kind of leverage these things that I care about and I'm interested in. Um, I'm curious your advice for people like myself entering the industry um, and, you know, other ways to get involved, perhaps like the examples that you just gave.
1: Well, I think, you know, going back to the question that you asked about how do I navigate my passion projects? How do I Mm -hmm. navigate my professional life? What are the differences between those two things? And the answer that I, I navigate them in pretty much the same way. There is a big difference, though, between doing something because you're passionate about it and doing something because you're required to because of a financial transaction. It's, they're they're mm-hmm. two very different things. Um, and I, I, again, this is a cliche. This is not something new. This is something... You can hear on any, you know, entrepreneur advice, you know, show, article, things like that. Um, You have to do the thing. There's a big difference between cooking a dinner party in your home for a lot of people and working 17 hours a day cooking for the public. There's a big difference, um, you know, working out yourself at a gym or working out with a friend and being a personal coach and being responsible for someone and creating a plan and doing that they're they're all different versions of the same thing and they require there's an overlap in what they require in terms of your interest and your energy your attention to detail and your work but the transactions are still very different so i would say To anybody who loves something, who wants to make that their job or the thing they get paid to do, there is also that cliche that says, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's true. Mm -hmm. um, But if you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning because you have to open the doors at six, that's very different from, you know, cooking dinner on a Sunday night. So my advice is, to get in and start doing the things you want to do. You yeah. already know something about building community because you built a community during the pandemic for music. You already know something about how communities look and feel and what they do because you've done work with clients that are a lot of community organizations, but you've not had restaurant experience. And working in a restaurant is very different. And when you're the owner, it's almost the worst job there is because the owner has to do all the things, (laughs) right? So if you've never worked in a restaurant and you've never, you know, had to work through holidays and work late at night and deal with the public and all those types of things, just having that experience will, will change your point of view, whatever your point of view is now without that experience will change once you have that experience. How it changes, I don't know, and neither do you, but it will change. I would point you to something I just read recently where the CEO of Uber went is working as a driver and he'd been on the job as CEO for quite some time and has finally gotten around to being a driver. And I think he's approaching like 100 rides or something like that. And he cannot believe how difficult some of it is. He he cannot believe how difficult navigating some of the onboarding is in the app, how challenging it was. He didn't understand it, how quickly um, his status as a driver was downgraded because he wasn't accepting um, rides and things in a certain time window, Um, how he's treated by the public, by the passengers, by the clients. Nobody knows he's the CEO when they get into his car. It's that undercover boss idea. It will change mm-hmm. your point of view. And if you have this idea that you want to build something because it doesn't exist, or if it does, you want to build a better version of it, you need to know how those other versions work in order to make yours better or different.
3: Yeah. That was very well articulated and definitely something that I'm I'm thinking about. I mean,
1: even if you did it on the weekends, even if you, you know, the restaurant industry for years and now more than ever has been desperate for quality employees, every, every city, every city, yeah. every type of restaurant, um, desperate, desperate, desperate for help. You could get a weekend job. You could work the, 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 the horrifying brunch rush someplace <laughs> on a Saturday or a Sunday and really experience full tilt what restaurant cafe work is really like.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think this is actually a great lead-in to probably my last question, um, which is just kind of this, I think a big theme for me is, you know, because I'm lacking in direct hands-on industry-specific experience in, in the restaurant industry, that gives me a lot of kind of, fear and questions and doubts about, am I capable? How do I get from point A to point B? You gave me some great advice, you know, just now about like, just throw yourself in it, just do it. Um, But we also had a great discussion previously just around like fear in general. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear you talk more about, you know, people just kind of going for it or or any other like major life lessons that you think are just really important for people to know? Well,
1: I mean, my experience, my experience in, in agency life and in working with people and teams of people, um, different organizations um, working one-on-one with people, coaching people, I hear I hear I can't a lot oh I can't do that I'm not going to do that I'm afraid to do that is oftentimes what people mean and if you say can't you never will if you never ask the question you won't ever get a yes if you ask a question and someone tells you no you're not going to get another answer from them you have to go someplace else to get a maybe. So, you know, so often people just say, oh, I can't, or I'm not going to do that, or, oh, it doesn't work out, or it's not really comfortable, or it's too much. And I think the question to ask is why? Why you would not do that? Why you would not, why won't you try? Why can't you try? What's What's the rationale behind it? And, you know, there's something, it's, it's one of those entrepreneurial things, um, one of those classic um you know entrepreneur hacks about how you know you iterate through ideas and things like that where you know the five whys you ask why five times and theoretically after the fifth time you get to the heart of the matter you know may why 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 won't you get a job at a restaurant why don't you get a job at a restaurant well because i don't really have the time i have a full-time job okay do you do you have time on the weekend could you pick up one shift well, you know, wh- why, why, and then why, and then you get to it. And then the bottom line is, are Are you afraid to go work in a restaurant? Are you afraid to discover that maybe it's difficult or maybe you're not good at it, or maybe it's not going to be easy, or I don't know. I mean, there, uh, the the final why has to be some point of negativity. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a barrier. So asking why... Asking why people say no or can't, what is the barrier to success? What is your barrier to progress? What's the thing that you are identifying? Or maybe you haven't identified it, so maybe you need to identify the thing that is your barrier to success. Well, maybe I don't have the money to do it, or I don't have the time to do it, or I don't have the resources to do it, or I don't this or I don't that. Anything is solvable, Really? Especially if, the, if, especially if you are a person who wants to be an entrepreneur and build something, you need to start to, to, to build and flex those muscles of, you know, it's possible. How do I do it? How do I get around it? You got to like learn to flex those MacGyver muscles mm-hmm. because if you wait for the perfect moment, it'll never come. So in my, in my coaching work, you know, I ask people, what, what's your goal? What do you want to achieve? What do you, okay, so that's good. And we try and articulate exactly why, you know, why somebody wants to lose 10 pounds or why somebody wants to be able to lift a hundred pounds or, you know, why they want to reach the goal they want to reach. And sometimes they want to reach a certain goal to reach another goal and they don't necessarily match up. So we have to revise those, a question that I always ask is so what's going to be our biggest challenge? What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest barrier to success? Because there always is one. And you have to decide to overcome that. Otherwise you won't get, you won't, you won't go anywhere. But also once you get to what's the biggest barrier, you know, in in many, many times in life, the thing people are most afraid of is losing their job. Not being liked, being laughed at—something um, about their ego—that's—that's that's gonna, you know, hurt them or make them feel bad. You know, sometimes making a wrong decision might get you fired, but most times it won't. You know, most times the wrong decision is repairable, especially if it's done in the context of I'm—I'm I'm making an effort to do my job. And the ego things of people won't like me, or it'll be hard, or it will. I won't be successful, or I'm scared. You have to conquer those things anyway to to move ahead in life. I mean, you know, you, you have to not be afraid to to be a beginner and learn. Right. In in martial arts, they call that white belt mentality. You know.
3: That makes sense.
1: If you want to be a successful athlete, you have to be coachable. You have to be willing for people to tell you. That's, you know, this is a better way to do it. You would improve if you did this. These are your strengths. These are things we can work on. And it's the same for business. Same with being an entrepreneur. You go into an accelerator or you go into, look, you take your business plan and you shop it around and you sit in front of, you know, finance people and people to invest. They're going to tell you what's wrong with your plan. Right. What's wrong with your plan? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your team? What's wrong with the product? If you change X, Y, and Z, then maybe they'll give you money.
3: Yeah, it almost seems like at the at the root of this is kind of this this balance of kind of coming face to face with some of your I don't know deep rooted um, fears or some some of these kind of like very primal human worries, if you will. But then also doing the work and kind of overcoming that fear to make things a reality. That's kind of the the cliff notes of what I'm what I've been picking up.
1: Well, I, it's again, you know, I mean, cliches are cliches because they're mostly true, you know, with big risk comes big reward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a difference though, between, you know, sort of being fearless and going for it and being like stupid about something, you know, obviously right. you don't want to like jump into a fire because you think you're, you know, you're fireproof. That's not the case. Um, but, you know, to a certain extent, yes. Um, the the greater the reach, the greater the pivot. You have to sort of be willing to get in and and put your head down and and just dig through it. Being, you know, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur at any level, um, even if you're running just a single, even if you're an entrepreneur for yourself and you're a freelancer, you're a freelance, you know, personal trainer, you're a freelance writer, you're a freelance strategist, um, so many people, you're a freelance Uber driver or delivery person. Um, you know, you have to manage and you have to go and you have to maintain your own business and you have to be willing to, if you're going to make a big jump into something totally different, something you have no experience in, you have to be willing to acknowledge that. And then acknowledge that it's going to be much harder Then starting a business always is because you have all these extra things to learn. If you're not willing to learn them, why would you go and do something different? Right. It's like, I want to go live in a foreign country, but I have no desire to learn another language or another way of living or other customs. I want to be the person that I am in a completely different environment. Why go?
3: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very good metaphor, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. But I think you know the the pandemic you know taught or showed anything. It's that we don't know we don't know what's happening. Things can change moment to moment in profound ways, and time is the most valuable thing we have. You know, time, our health, and you know, family. So how do you want to best spend that?
3: Yeah. Very true. Mm-hmm. That's what I think everyone's trying to figure out. Yeah. know.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, I think, ask yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen if you got a weekend brunch job at some cafe? The worst thing that would happen is that it'd be really hard. You'd be tired. Um, you'd maybe not make hardly any money. You would have a better understanding of what you wanted to do. You could maybe build a better restaurant. Yeah, you would maybe have a different idea of what you wanted to do, you know. I mean, that's the worst thing. That's the worst thing.
3: Yeah, and and being a bit it, a bit tired and having your you know feet be sore or you're just being physically exhausted, I think that's a, a well worthwhile um, short term sacrifice in order to learn what is needed to you know become an entrepreneur and enter a foreign industry.
1: And I don't know any entrepreneur in any kind of industry who's been on this show or who I know who's in the restaurant um, and food space who doesn't work hours like that, who isn't tired and exhausted at the end of every day, whether you're building an AI product, an app, a restaurant, a bakery, um, trying to start a magazine, running a school, you know, a nonprofit. Anytime you start something, you're bootstrapping, you don't have the resources you need you're doing all the jobs, it's going to be exhausting anyway. So, you know, that's sort of a baseline.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was ideally looking to find people that kind of mimicked um, the situation I was in, like, can it be done? Is it possible to kind of start from kind of nothing in the restaurant industry and and still do something Great. And that's not to say that it's impossible, because obviously there are outliers and there are people that figure it out. But even in the instances, even the people that I thought, oh, this person didn't know they wanted to work in food, they still worked their way up in some shape or form. So I I definitely am coming around to getting some hands on Well, it's not that
1: you can't be successful um, and it's not that you can't have partners or associates who come from the industry who have that knowledge and can share it with you. But as a business owner, don't you want to know every single piece of your business intimately? Don't you want to know exactly what your business is and how it's running? Not just Mm -hmm. at the top line of this is a great vegan cafe and community and we do all these things. And on the outside, it looks like this. But as a business owner, you know, it's like it's going to be like your home. Would you walk into a pre-furnished house and not look in all the closets and not know what's going on and not know the people who are working or what things cost or how they worked or where they came from. You would never live that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So the only way to understand intrinsically every piece of your business is to understand intrinsically every piece of your business.
3: Yeah. Wise words. (laughs) I'm, I'm definitely ready to learn.
1: (laughs) Get that brunch job. (laughs)
3: yes I will I'm going to look at listings after this
1: (laughs) I'm sure there are a ton I'm sure there are a ton of jobs and walking distance from where you live in Cambridge of of places and you know I mean the closer you get to working at a place that you know sort of matches your ideas and values and vibe you know the better I'm sure there's a coffee shop that you like that has a community around it I'm sure there are vegan restaurants and places that have community around them you know learning I mean
3: yeah 100 percent
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, in cooking, you know, the things they make you learn really well at the beginning or, you know, omelets, roast chicken and the mother sauces, and you need to make those things before you can make something fantastical. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I feel that starting, starting with the foundations or the fundamentals. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And you know that from your UX experience. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yeah. You should, you should, um, you know, you should do, um, a user chart, a user flow for you getting from here to there and see how that looks.
3: Yeah. I've been operating off of a a very in-depth spreadsheet, but you're right. I should take it to the next level.
1: Yeah. Do a a full user
3: flow Mm
1: -hmm. and see. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yep. Well, we are out of time. um, And I knew we would be, we always are. Uh, Part of the reason I have a podcast is because I'm a talker and I could talk uh, for much longer than the usual hour that we have. Um, but that is the time that we have today. And I'm going to thank May Bierman for coming on the show and sharing a personal conversation with all of our listeners about her desire to pivot into the food space. Um, we get a lot of emails like this, and I get a lot of questions and asks for coffee dates around this type of topic. So Um, hopefully this is one that will, you know, exponentially be of value. If you liked what May was saying, or maybe you're in the Cambridge neighborhood, or you have a vegan community food idea, you can find her online. She has a portfolio. It's maybeerman.com. Pretty easy. You can also find her on LinkedIn. If you love Tech Bytes and you want to find us and don't know where we are, we are on social media at Tech Bytes, HRN. We are online at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on your favorite podcasting platform from iTunes to Spotify to Stitcher and everything in between. If you like the show, go to your favorite podcasting platform, subscribe to it, like us, give us a great review. It'll help more people discover Tech Bytes if you think this is an important conversation to hear, to have, to save, to share, if you think these conversations and conversations like them are important, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and make a donation. Maybe give us what you're going to spend on coffee today. It'll help us keep the lights on, keep the mics hot, and make more radio. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, and this is
3: TechBytes.